Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff Podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker. Hey filmmakers, today joining us is Grant Pickla. He's a filmmaker out of Detroit, Michigan, and he has an inner drive to make the most of every minute of every day. After directing his first feature film, uh, Niner, uh, back in 2015, it's a crime drama, he spent time penning screenplays and has emerged with, and with something that he wrote and directed called Making Time. Now, he's one of the few people in the film industry, at least that I know of, uh, to shoot a 110-page scripted narrative feature, and get this, in just two days. So, Grant, uh, first of all, congratulations. Secondly, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. I know we've shot some emails back and forth, and, and it's always fun to have you know somebody that's been listening to the Filmmaking Stuff podcast for a while come back and say, hey, uh, I made a film. Um, so kudos to you for, for actually getting a film done, but what, what was the impetus behind it? Because, you know, you're, you're based in Michigan, you're not out here in Los Angeles. So how are you making all these films happen? It's, that's an interesting question. Um, when you're not in LA, you're obviously not around productions happening all the time. So in some sense, you kind of, if you're not the one creating the production yourself, then it can be common to not find really any productions going on. Uh, Michigan has a pretty, pretty strong film production circle and some great acting talent around here as well as the Midwest. But when it, when it comes down to it, especially in the indie film world, you can't sit around and wait for someone. You can't wait for something to happen. You either take action or, you know, just uh, dream about it. So that's what we decided to do. Well, what inspired you to just do a whole 110-page script in two days? Because you would think most people, me included, would probably try to spread that out a little bit more. So that's a great question. Um, basically, it boils down to that first feature that I shot, Niner. We came in one day under schedule with a 33-day shoot. And some of those were half days and some of them were full days. But that was during grad school when time was like a factor I, I could use and leverage and get people available in certain windows. Like th this all ties into the production. Now that I've got a full-time job and my wife and I run a side business uh, shooting weddings and we were in the middle of DIY renovating our home, there's like, there's just literally no time to shoot a feature. Um, at the same time, I had great ideas and it felt like I was comfortable in a time in my life where it's like, hey, if I'm going to if I'm going to try for a second film, um, now is kind of the time before we have like any children or anything. It just boiled down to what is literally the least amount of time I could spend on production because I can daydream my life away, you know, like writing the script and pre-production. You can spend driving commutes working on that. It's just when it comes time to getting actors together and doing the long production, 30-day shoot schedule, it, it, it couldn't be that way. So I knew sacrificing things like sacrificing proper lighting and proper cinematography would have to happen. But if we focused on story first, acting talent second, and sound and score third, then I felt like it would be worth it. Even if, even if we really just managed like time crunched everything down to just two days. And of course, 
while we're in the midst of this house renovation, the bright idea came to me, why don't we shoot the past of someone's life right now before this house changes? So we shoot all of Act Two on day one and then go ahead half a year later when the house is completely finished and bring all actors back and shoot Acts one and three in present day and have a character time travel back to what we shot on day one. So that's interesting. So you were able to leverage some of the resources you had, because in this case, you have a house under renovation in real life, but you figured out a way to write that in your script and, and use it as a device for time travel. It, what, what kind of challenges did you run into trying to fit all that in? Well, the biggest challenge off the bat was, so I had written a script that I was pretty primed and ready for thinking like, okay, I think we could pull this script off in maybe a day. And like, we were going for it. That was the that start that was that was the goal from the beginning is to knock something out in a day but then once i saw the house and i realized how much it's going to change and i was like right in the trenches you know i was like pulling old cabinets out and throwing them in a dumpster and just thinking like man this is only going to happen one time ever and if i were to go for it it would be now so the big challenge then was write something that's proper write something as good as i can as fast as i could because like you don't want to spend the next year and a half on something that was just like a scriptment or like an improvised quote unquote like mumble course style film because then what happens if you know it's not something you're super proud of so it's like a big challenge is just write that thing as fast as possible and then of course after shooting act one and every, or sorry, after shooting day one, and we had all of like the middle core of the film done, I could then spend the next two months sort of retrofitting and revising and, and making acts one and three even better um, before our second shoot day. And prior to this call, you mentioned that you reached what you're referring to as a no turning back point. How did that benefit mm -hmm. the production? And I guess what the heck is that? When all of our um, actors and crew showed up on day one, there's no handbook that says, this is what you need to know in shooting 61 pages of scripted narrative feature on your first day. And granted, I've shot a another feature before, so it wasn't like I wasn't afraid or anything, but you learn so much and you have to overcome every obstacle as fast as you can. And not to mention 15 inches of snow drop the day before shooting. So our crew of 10 deflated to five based on like things I couldn't control. So that meant uh, when it came time to shooting, the no turning back point for us was, Hey, this house is only going to look like this, this one time. And literally two weeks later, the house looked radically different. Like, the cabinets were finally installed, painting was up. Um, there was a lot changing fast. So we just knew we had to get it all in that one night or, or, or it bust. Cause there was no, there was no backup shoot dates. You couldn't, I couldn't put my wife and I's life on hold and like not have a kitchen sink for the next like two months, just because of a film, like life has to keep pushing. So that's what made it like a real gamble. And, and thankfully it all turned out. So would you say the sense of urgency was what really propelled you to act fast and, and get things done? Yeah, absolutely. And um, Mason Hyder, who is the lead actor in it, I mean, I don't know a single person who's pulled off 106 pages of dialogue in two days. Like he had, he was like a dictionary, but also just a once in a lifetime performance in terms of 
emotional roller coaster he has to go through. He really led the charge as well. And like, talk about a true professional. Um, so I think the combination of him and myself and some of the other leading cast and crew, we just had the spirit of, Hey, we're in it together. We're going to get this done. And, um, you know, that kind of leads to more camaraderie and, and a lot, no, there's no such thing as dictatorship or anything like that on our set. So it was just a very positive experience. So your second shoot date. So that came, that came a few weeks after the renovation or the renovation was happening. And then you guys did the the second part. It actually came seven months later. Okay. So that, that presents some interesting obstacles. Like our lead actress at that point had now moved from Chicago where she could previously take a train or drive now she was out in arizona and she had to fly back so it's like it's crazy it was kind of going on a limb in terms of i really hope everyone can make it back yeah and in addition to capturing all the footage for the motion picture you still you know you really felt a lot about future promotion so on that second day Mm -hmm. it wasn't just about finishing the story but you also had to capture um, all sorts of behind the scenes stuff yeah so on both days um, we did capture behind the scene interviews and um, B-roll as well. But day two specifically, I was so like prepped for it that I knew walking in, yes, we had 50 pages to shoot on day two, but there was also about 30 pickup shots that I just knew, man, if we could just get an insert of this, an insert of that, it would help the edit of what we had shot um, from our act two, our day one big shoot. Um, And at the same time, some of these actors, I would never have in that location again. So we actually did ADR from six of our actors. Um, While we were filming, we had our um, production manager doing the ADR, like in the basement. And we did as well a poster photo shoot because it was like the only the second time in my life, those two actors were the two leads were together. So we just knew now's the time. Let's get this um, poster shot. So that was something we like previs and figured out what what would work best and um yeah it was certainly ambitious but it was a really um fun achievement you talk a lot about your preparation what did you do ahead of time to prep because again this is this is a pretty big undertaking um yeah so it's different preparing for a film that's like this because the first film i shot i thought if we storyboard every single shot of every scene uh taking inspiration from the Coen brothers, it'd be possible for us to shoot a feature with very little money that felt big and felt uh, cinematically accurate. But in prepping for this, it's more like you can't storyboard anything. You can't even put like one key shot that you want to achieve. You have to light it in a way in which most actors in the scene at all at once would be lit at the same time. So you can roll multiple cameras and you kind of have to step back and allow your performers to perform and I I couldn't go and look over the shoulder of camera operator B and C and tell them if a shot's working or not I just had to trust them and I I told them like you're your own director today and like you know that I'm getting more of the wides and you're getting more of the tights but look for opportunities to create better composition than the average event coverage and thankfully like that instilled a certain uh liberation in everyone like people just said i was free to make choices and it's really interesting it's a totally different prep like yeah you get your props aligned and your food and stuff but aside from that there's like no shot list and there's no uh storyboard that's just come in mic everybody up 
get all cameras rolling and just go for it. With uh, so many different cameras rolling, with so many people, you know, doing their own thing, how, how did it cut together? Like, does it does it have sort of the same tone and feel that you were going for as a director? Yeah. So the interesting thing is, so on our day day one, it was dinner time, and we had done one of the pivotal scenes where like our character played by Mason Hydra meets himself in the past. So we had used like a stunt double for it all and stuff. Um, but we had done that plus eight other scenes. So we had knocked out nine big scenes by dinner. And when I was looking at the schedule, all of a sudden I realized it said we had, like, I felt like we were moving fast and it was kind of tiring because it's like, a, it's almost a full day already. And we still had 26 more scenes to shoot in the next six hours without taking a breath. And so uh, in terms of just like, how is it cut together? The, the scenes that we shot at a more moderate pace, they cut together perfectly. And the scenes that we shot in a more like hurry up mode and just like sort of chaos, thankfully um, in the story, that's when our character's going through. It's the first time he arrives in the past. He comes out, he looks and sees all his friends. He doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to figure it out and people keep popping up left and right. And thankfully, our camera work, I wouldn't say it's like messy or, or um, frantic, but it kind of, the, the quicker cutting and the swinging of a steady cam to meet new characters, it all kind of feels right. Uh, as far as the rest of the editing goes, I would say it cut together pretty naturally. Like you've always got your uh, wide and you've got a left and a right basically pulling off over the shoulders. And, you know, it's rare that you return to the wide midway through the scene, but as like a safety in a scenario like this, it's not all that bad. And with our character doing a lot of motion, a lot of moving from scene to scene, he's like walking room to room a lot. It presented itself for the steady cam as a tool to be employed quite a bit. I think that's really telling, you know, for a lot of our listeners that are looking to get projects done with the resources that, that they have. And it's just fascinating to me that you were able to put all of this together, as I, as I keep saying, you know, but but I would like to just bring this up. And, and you mentioned something, you know, when you say that you shoot in two days, these weren't like, you know, four hour days or eight hour days. These were what, like 16 hour days? Yeah, they were basically from uh, 1030 in the morning till about 1 a.m. Yeah, that's pretty substantial. Um, and then how was the, yeah. the morale on set? It's interesting because on the first day, it's everyone's first day. So they're just excited. Like everyone's just pumped. Um, it's, it wasn't until we hit that moment where we just realized, holy crap. Because, you know, if they had, let's say actors weren't called on scenes yet for half the day. Well, they were just chilling, practicing lines because they hadn't really rehearsed a ton coming in. And then they get their lunch and dinner. But then when it was time and we all like shit hit the fan and it's like, oh, my God we have to average five scenes an hour for the next six hours. Then it wasn't a matter of like, is morale high or low? Everyone was just like full alert, full attention. Let's do this. Nothing. I don't know. I think it, it's sort of top down leadership um, because I was not frantic or freaking out or anything. I knew we could do it and Mason exact same way. So everyone just kind of knew it's game time and we're going for it. And then uh, when it came time for day two shooting, we were so like, it's crazy, but one day of previous shooting gave us so much more insight as to how to sort, sort of like approach just each scene, like breaking old habits. Like if you miss a shot, that's fine. There's two other cameras. They're picking it up. Like just 
fix it in the next uh, five seconds or whatever. Bring us up to date. So is the film fully cut together? Have you shown it to some audiences or, or what stage is the film at right now? So we, uh, yes, we finished the cut uh, a couple months ago shared it with some private test audience members. And the nice thing is they were all pretty mind blown, I guess, that this could be in two days. They couldn't even wrap their head around it or comprehend how or why. Um, but the good news is they all responded very positively to the story um, because it's it's a heartwarming story. And they, it, they said it worked and they loved the acting and loved everything involved. Uh, in terms of where it's at now, we've submitted to a handful of festivals and we'll be seeking some distribution options literally in the next couple of weeks. So it's, it's an exciting time for us. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, that's always a fun place to be, especially when you have a fully finished product ready for the marketplace. So I guess, I guess the question for our listeners is if somebody listening to this said, you know what, I, I've been, I've been thinking about making a feature forever. Here's a guy that, that was just on the podcast that talked about making a feature film in two days. And, and I also want to bring up that we always encourage set safety. We never want to compromise safety. So with that in mind, mm-hmm. what, what advice would you give to other filmmakers that want to do something similar to what you've done? Um, I would say, first off, there's nothing wrong with shooting short films in preparation or shooting something like if it's your first or something like definitely use weekends and get better because by the time you're done with your first film, you will look back and say, wow, the second half of that film is better than the first half. And I'm so much further when it comes to shooting something in two days. I mean, the truth is if you just turn on someone's iPhone and shoot for two hours, you could shoot a movie in two hours. And that's not what we were going for. It took years, like uh, literally 10 years of Um, professional shooting and um, not just filmmaking, but corporate shooting and shooting weddings, which is all on the fly, takes a lot. And um, you have to understand what's achievable. And then when it comes to like your cast and crew, you have to approach actors from a level of, hey, this is going to be a low time commitment in terms of days needed, but a large time time commitment in terms of memorizing. And would you even be open to that idea? Like does does that gel with you? Because it, it may not be every actor's cup of tea, but as long as you're forward with what exactly this is and everyone is kind of on, on board of like, this is not the usual shoot. There may be a moment where shit hits the fan, like we're all figuring this out together. Then I think you won't lose the respect when like certain ways of shooting a film are compromised, like perfect lighting or giving actors like more than, like for instance, we we've pretty much never did more than three takes per scene. And some actors, they might just need more or want more. Um, and you know, every director is different as to what they request. But yeah, I would say plan the hell out of it in terms of like, do your best first off just to write like a good story and spend months on the story and then start thinking about, okay, if we shot this so fast, would it make sense to have two cameras? Cause then we could cut away in, in case something goes out of focus, maybe a third camera, maybe blah, blah, blah. So you just have to really think it through and be completely upfront with everyone. So they know what they're getting involved with. I might just add a technical note too. And I don't know if you discovered this, but from a, from an encoding standpoint in prep for distribution, um, one thing that I've run into with filmmakers is having, uh, inconsistent frame rates between three, you know, in your case, you were shooting three different cameras. Um, were you, mm-hmm. were you uh, keenly aware of all those technical issues that could happen? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something that comes with 
um, just years of working in the video production world, like there's just no doubt when everyone showed up, they were all running a, a cinema EOS series. So like a C200, a C300 Mark II, certain things like that. And it's all C-Log, uh, you know, obviously 24 frames per second or 23.976. And when it came time for color grading and sound and score, like all that is being handled uh, very professionally because those those things can like, you know, it's, I, I say it over and over. It's like story, then acting and then sound and score. And if you're, if your sound isn't any good, then it doesn't matter like what camera you show up with. So really, and people, people can, for this, in terms of breaking a, a bad habit or, or not bad habit, but breaking a habit, we had to throw out the boom mic and just use lavalier mics on everyone. And as an example for $33 or something or 30 bucks, you can go to Amazon and get the Mike J zero three three mic or something. That thing is like twenty or thirty dollars, and it's not on the level of something like a Sankin COS eleven D, but it's freaking, it's pretty darn amazing for that cheap. And you hook that up to a little mini recorder or whatever gear you may have, whether it's wireless transmitters or not, that can open doors and allow you to mic more than one person, or maybe even at one point we had like eight different uh, mics on people. So it's like, it's just, it's like looking for all these little tricks of the trade and then combining them in a very structured way. Yeah. I mean, everything that you say is just impressive and, and you can tell that it's well-planned. And I also wanted to point something out too. You keep mentioning, you know, wedding videos. I think sometimes when mm -hmm. as independent filmmakers, we're trying to figure out what gigs we should do in between our passion projects. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if you want to do something like wedding videos offers a really good way for you to gain practice and actually make some money. Yeah. And the nice thing about wedding videos is just by the nature of how, how they can be shot, they are live. So your first couple runs, like, or I would even say my first year or two of shooting them, I shot everything as um, safe and proper and like just good solid event coverage, like steady. And the further I got into shooting them, now it's like, okay, well, I'm going to start bringing a steady cam and I'm going to start getting better at operating a steady cam and using it in specific moments. And then by year two and a half or three, now I'm like, okay, I'm not just going to use steady cam shots, but I'm going to start an open to close type or a pivot reveal, or I'm going to start infusing sort of like cinematic choices into a live moment, um, sort of taking risks. And then ironically, when we got to shooting Making Time, when I was running the Steadicam, I had like, you know, hundreds of shots in my head that I'm like, hey, if, if we get to this point in the script and I'm running this, my goal is to bust out these uh, Steadicam moves and revolves or push-ins. And it, that sort of practice in shooting weddings for five years allowed me to be so much more comfortable and confident and know, you know, it's weird. I went from lighting and cinematography to total event coverage in weddings and trying to bring good cinematography to weddings and then taking all that and bringing it back into a feature film, like almost full circle. Um, so it's very, it's very interesting. Well, it's, it's been great having you on the show. If, if somebody wants to check out your film, where would they go? So they can go to makingtimethemovie.com and we have a subscriber list. Uh, if you just sign up with the email, that will keep you up to date as to when the film is available to see and um, all that fun stuff. So 
hopefully that'll be pretty soon. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing the film. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. It's been great talking to you. Same to you. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast with Jason Brubaker. If you like our show and want to get more filmmaking info, make sure you check out filmmakingstuff.com and join us every week for new filmmaking tactics. Until next time, take action and make your movie now.